Welcome to Keith Knight, Don't Tread on Anyone in the Libertarian Institute. Today I am joined by David Swanson, author of The Military-Industrial Complex at 50 and The Monroe Doctrine at 200 and What to Replace It With. I'm also joined by Lori Calhoun, author of We Kill Because We Can. She is also a senior fellow at the Libertarian Institute. Thank you two so much for joining me. Thanks for having us. Mr. Swanson, uh, what does it mean to be a progressive, and what does progressivism have to do with being anti-war? <laughs> well, I guess that depends who's using the word. It can mean uh, that you're a member of the, the biggest caucus in the Democratic Party in the U.S. government, uh, and you love wars, and you do everything you can to facilitate the growth of the single most expensive institution ever to grace the face of the earth, the, the U.S. military. Uh, but you, you want the wars to be done with friends in an amicable manner in the name of democracy and women's rights and, and so forth. <laughs> Uh, or in the case of other people who use the same darn label and uh, in many cases may want to spend hours fighting over what the label means, uh, it, it uh, is used to mean that you oppose war and you oppose militarism and you oppose dumping resources into war and militarism that are desperately needed for human and environmental needs, that you want to pursue global institutions of law and collaboration and cooperation that are impeded by war, that you want to end the fueling of hatred and bigotry and xenophobia and violence and armament that's fueled by war domestically as well as in foreign affairs, uh, that you think... Uh, Reducing the risk of nuclear apocalypse or environmental collapse uh, is the top priority, even up and above uh, killing people in the name of standing up to Vladimir Putin. Uh, so there, I think there's a great variety, uh, perhaps more than with most terms, in how that term is used. Lori, what does it mean to be a libertarian and what does that have to do with being anti-war? Okay, I think that Libertarians are united by their commitment to the principle of non-aggression, which is you don't exact violence against non-threatening persons and destroy um, them and their property. So I think all libertarians are united by that principle. And because war causes only death and destruction, misery and terror, libertarians are united in their opposition to war. So they may disagree about lots of other topics because they disagree about whether, uh, for example, in the case of abortion, is the fetus a person? Um, if the fetus is a person, then you know presumably that person should not be violated according to, to the principle of non-aggression—sorry, uh, of um, to the non-aggression principle. But they disagree about that. That's a that's a very complicated topic, and so libertarians disagree on all sorts of different topics, but what they don't disagree about is war. And that's because the only thing war causes is death and destruction. Adding insult to injury, war is invariably supported through mendacity. So David has a great book, War is a Lie, and it sums up the whole um, approach to war on the part of leaders. You can't get people to to rally behind something that's only going to cause death and destruction. So you have to paint it in, in pleasing terms. You have to say war will bring democracy, war will bring freedom, war will take down a tyrant, 
War will, uh, what are some other examples that they use? Uh, anyway, it's, they, they ascribe to war all of the positive effects post-war. War, war is peace. That's the best contradiction of all. War will bring peace. Um, and these effects do sometimes arise after a war, but they're ascribed to the war by people who want to wage future wars, even though all of those effects happened after all the death and destruction stopped. So if people um, achieved peace and democracy and they took down a tyrant, this happened because of what happened after the bomb stopped dropping. Very good. I uh, just want to uh, give an idea of where I'm coming from, from uh, the uh, libertarian position. Here is uh, Murray Rothbard summing up libertarianism in his book For a New Liberty. He says, the libertarian creed rests upon one central axiom that no man or group of men may aggress against the person or property of anyone else. This may be called the non-aggression axiom. Aggression is defined as the initiation of the use or threat of physical violence against the person or property of anyone else. Aggression is therefore synonymous with invasion. So this is what I see as the principled anti-war position. Mr. Swanson, where is it that libertarians go wrong? I'm specifically referring to your uh, How Dare I Oppose War Together with Libertarians article. Uh, well, if aggressing against someone uh, means bombing their house or invading their country or kicking in their door or taking over their uh, their life against their will. Uh, you know, if, if aggression means war, uh, we're both against it, 100%. Uh, if aggression means taxing billionaires who don't know what to do with their massive, accumulated, hoarded, filthy wealth in order that other people not starve and go without decent lives and 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 shelter and warmth in, in the cold and so forth, uh, well, then, you know, I, I think that's nuts. And I think it's catastrophically dangerous and stupid. But if someone who thinks that wants to stand on a stage with me and oppose war, and, you know, the, 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 the general uh, powers that be and every single employee of corporate media outlets and every single Democrat in the United States Congress believes we need war and we need to increase the risk of nuclear apocalypse and we need to aggravate the environmental destruction. And the only people willing to speak up because of party obedience are people who haven't identified with one of these two monstrosities that we call political parties. And they're willing to stand on a stage with me and speak against war, speak against nuclear apocalypse, which, by the way, destroys everybody, no matter what their ideology. Uh, you know, welcome, brothers. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> you know, Lori Calhoun, uh, when it comes to uh, maybe uh, having a disregard for the poor or, uh, you know, caring too much about the wealth of billionaires. Do you think uh, there's anything to Mr. Swanson's criticism of libertarianism? Well, it's open to infinite debate because, um, you know, you always see um, high profile self-styled progressives such as Bernie Sanders and uh, Elizabeth Warren saying, oh, you know, Bezos earns has too much money. But in fact, you know, Sanders and Warren are the lawmakers. So if he's following the tax code, which is insanely you know, unfair, it's their fault. So they should change the tax code. Uh, no one is volunteering to, pay, sorry, volunteering to pay more taxes than they're required to do by law. So, so it's really, really open to debate. I think um, that 
David's point is really important that if we have a nuclear war, then none of these issues matter. We can do, it doesn't matter what, that we disagree about every other issue because we won't be here to debate any of them. So we have to find our common ground. We all agree that war cannot be supported. It's a complete abomination morally and it's intrinsically inhumane because it, it erases from the face of the earth the very possibility of debate about anything else. It erases values, it erases our very existence. And it's been, um, it's been rendered banal because of all the propaganda according to which you know, war is somehow good. And so this is what we have to get back to. War is intrinsically bad and intrinsically evil. And anyone who sees that, no matter what other mistakes they make in other areas of politics, they have seen a truth that we need to stand by and we need to stand up for before it's too late. Mr. Swanson, one of the analogies that people have been using online, especially ever since the balloon flew over some part of uh, America the other day, is that, well, look, it's okay if we go to war with either China or Russia, much like you would have the right to defend your house from an invader. We have the right to defend against an invading army, which in this case is China intentionally provoking us and Russia starting this war in the Donbass. What if anything is wrong with that logic? The, Where to begin? The, yeah, I mean, you're beginning with an 18th century conception, that of rights, uh, which uh, impedes almost any sensible argument. Uh, I, I know libertarians have a fondness for rights and in many cases in a good way that I agree with and sympathize with. But uh, the question, do I have the right to fight back when someone is invading my country? can be a very, very dangerous and stupid question when, when a better question is, what would be the smartest thing to do right now? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I have the right, presumably, to shoot myself in the foot, literally and, and <laughs> metaphorically, right? It doesn't, doesn't mean it's the smartest thing to do, right? And so, you know, am I, you know, am I denying Iraqis and Afghans the right to fight back? Well, how the hell could I do that? Who has the power to do that? What does that even mean? Uh, but if Iraqi friends of mine ask me, what works best, and I look at the evidence, we're supposed to be fact-based, look at the evidence, stop denying the science, right, of what works and what doesn't work. Well, nonviolent resistance works better. It is more likely to succeed. You have to organize for it and plan for it in order for it to work the best. Uh, and governments are busy, for the most part, organizing and planning for wars and military defense and military aggression, with very little distinction between the two. Uh, but this notion that you must fight back militarily against any threat, that's one problem. Then you have the problem, of course, that you've surrounded China with military bases. You're flying military flights near China, sailing military ships near China and freaking out because of a balloon. Uh, I mean, this, the, the, the hypocrisy is, is just beyond ridiculous, right? Uh, presumably, China has the right to destroy the United States because of all the U.S. military bases lining its borders. Uh, no, it doesn't. Uh, any more than the United States has the right to hate China or bomb China or destroy China because of a damn balloon, you know, uh, but... It, and the same for, you know, every other conflict. It takes two to tango. It takes two to organize an orgy of mass murder. Uh, neither, <laughs> no sides are, you know, my 10 minutes ago, I was talking to, to a Russian media outlet uh, and telling them that, you know, 
that Russia had no right to do what it's doing and the U.S. has no right to be doing what it's doing. Uh, you know, war is evil, no matter which side you're on. Lori, war is okay because it's often fought in self-defense. True or false? What's huh. wrong with that thinking? Yeah, well, read my book, War and Delusion. First chapter, I just wipe out the whole idea that war is an act of self-defense. I, I show probably to excess how disanalogous the two practices are. War is nothing like self-defense. Um, just to pick one of the many ways in which it's not like self-defense, um, if a... If your neighbor looked suspicious to you, you would not be justified in going and killing him in his house. Okay, so just take that as a, as a starting point, because that's how all of the U.S. wars have been conducted in recent history, maybe in all of history. Uh, so, um, yeah, and I, I really like David's point that you have to do the smart thing. It's not just like the right thing. Yeah, we may have a right to do, you know, whatever we want to do. You know, maybe, maybe rights are infinite. But what is the smart thing to do? And when we look at the outcome of the Afghanistan war, which people seem to have forgotten, you know, the Taliban is now in power. So we spent 20 years trying to kill the Taliban, the allegedly intrinsically evil Taliban. They're now running the country. So we just, you know, I hate to mention money because <laughs> I don't want to say that, that like I oppose war because of money because that's not why I oppose it. But if, if you're going to look at the smart thing, the smart thing is to analyze what went wrong, why it didn't work, and why it won't work in the future instead of just pretending that it never happened and doing the same thing all over again. So, uh, Mr. Swanson, can you see how if uh, – well just because we oppose an increase in military spending doesn't mean that uh, we support, you know, America getting invaded, just as we don't think that uh, increasing government spending domestically will necessarily improve the plight of Americans. So just because we don't want a state program doing something doesn't mean we're against that thing happening in general. Uh, is there anything that uh, we're missing there? Well, it's hard to get a handle on what it is, you think, not that this is the topic of war exactly, but uh, Laurie seems to think that billionaires should be taxed uh, so that people don't starve, uh, but senators who don't really try to accomplish that shouldn't talk about it so much. Uh, I agree, 100%. Uh, if you think that, in fact, billionaires should not be taxed and people should just go on starving and freezing to death uh, so that billionaires can have more money than they could possibly dream up what to do with, uh, then I disagree. Uh, and if you want to tell me that the evidence shows that any day now the, the wealth is going to trickle down and generating more wealth for billionaires is magically going to help everyone else just wait and see it's coming, uh, I'm going to refer you to the Pentagon, which has predict, been predicting that any moment now the Ukrainians are going to win and Russia is going to uh, surrender completely and totally uh, and all will be peace and glory uh, and suggest that such promises are weak. Uh, we, we need actual evidence. I'm sorry. I can't take I can't take your word for it. So one okay, bit of evidence, well, one just... bit of evidence could be that uh, the government already uh, gets six point two trillion dollars that they spent last year. So we could say, well, uh, then well, we can't uh, wait for government to trickle down the wealth. Another piece of evidence could be that healthcare, housing and schooling are the three <clears throat> things government's gotten most involved in. And we've seen the prices go higher and higher without a great increase in quality, whereas computers, electronics, um, printers, a lot of uh, TVs and uh, electronic compliances, which are much less regulated, cell phones and cell phone software, 
less regulated, less subsidies. Those have gone down in price in the last 20, 30 years, and the quality's gone up, and they're more environmentally friendly. Can you see how the libertarian can still consistently support uh, the poor and the downtrodden without advocating state intervention? No, it's absolutely ridiculous. If you think housing and healthcare and whatever the other thing was are the top three things the U.S. government is involved with, I don't know where you've been the past 20 minutes. The U.S. government is a war machine with a mm -hmm. few side projects. Uh, you can put the numbers down on a piece of paper and figure that out on your own. Uh, and to object that it's a big government and we need a small government is to ignore the critical question of what kind of government it is. I want to move the money from the war machine to useful things. Uh, many of those, some of those useful things might be tax cuts, but most of them are critical, urgent emergencies uh, of human life and environmental sustainability. Uh, and, you know, so, so my interest is not in joining either chorus of we must have a bigger government, we must have a smaller government, both of which collaborate in the erasing from the popular understanding that war costs money, that military mm -hmm. costs money, that in fact, the majority of your beloved tax dollars go into a war machine. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's counterproductive and it's murderous and it's disastrous, but that's where they go. Uh, and you know, So, so of the $6.2 trillion that was spent uh, in 2022, most of it went to war? Um, More than half of it. There, there, we have to make a few distinctions here that take a few minutes. Uh, but if you're talking about Ta about tax dollars, about income taxes, the majority went to war. If you're talking about discretionary spending, the spending that the Congress decides what to do with every year, which, yes, leads out, leaves out some big things, some of which could be called health care and retirement, uh, then uh, you're, you know, the, a significant majority, maybe 60 percent goes to war. Uh, if you're looking at non-discretionary spending, if you're looking at the hated by libertarians, but beloved by everybody else, uh, programs of Social Security and Medicare, uh, which need to be strengthened and expanded, not obliterated, uh, then there, there's a huge chunk that goes to those. Uh, the problem is that if you look outside this little corner of the world, this 4% of humanity so obsessed with its own reflection, at nations that put money into retirement security and health care in efficient ways, <laughs> that is in governmental ways, uh, they're healthier, they live longer, they're happier, they do better. Uh, and if you look at governments that do what you want and defund human and environmental needs, they're disaster zones. Lori, how would uh, you respond to that? Okay, first of all, I want to back up a little bit to um, David's inference that I think that Bezos at all should be taxed more. I, you know, I think it's very complicated, and I certainly think that if we could stop war today and divert the entire military budget, if the only way we could stop war today would be to divert the military budget to other things, I would absolutely um, stand behind that. But I think that what we have to get back to is uh, war itself and the fact that we have become a military state. This is a fact. Everything else, um, everything else is um, given, you know, much lower priority than war, and we can see this in the fact, the very fact that the Pentagon has 
has not been able to pass an audit in decades now. And they come out and say, oh, we lost track of $2 trillion or how many trillion is it, David? So they, they lose track of all this money, which is so much money that it could actually pay for all of the progressive wish list items. So what we need to focus on is war and holding these people accountable, these criminals accountable. I mean, it, it's like, it's absolutely outrageous. No business would survive with that degree of incompetence and waste, but we allow the Pentagon to go on under these, these uh, you know, platitudes that, you know, war, free is, freedom is not free, war will bring peace. These, these platitudes are all false. We have to focus on this and, and, and fight the propaganda machine, which persuades the populace to go along with this nonsense, because it's completely insane. And, and it's never been more obviously insane than in the present case, where people are waving flags in favor of a war that could lead to, our, the, to the demise of our entire civilization. So we have to focus on what is really wrong here, which is that we have transmogrified into a military state. If, if I could, and, and, and I love uh, things like healthcare and retirement and people being taken care of. The only reason that I oppose the state being involved is because they don't let people opt out of uh, funding certain programs. Um, oh, those, Swanson, are, those are niceties. You... Those are niceties. We can argue about that later after we stop war. Okay. Sure, sure. But <laughs> Mr. Swanson, would you uh, would progressives say that anyone has the right to issue taxes or only a government would have a monopoly on something? If it's so justified, how come only the state can do it? Uh, again, as Lori pointed out, our good law abiding billionaires are not going to voluntarily pay taxes. Uh, they're going to happily pay taxes when there's a law requiring it. Uh, but um, Mr. Knight is going to object that the law is evil and we should have the billionaires voluntarily pay their taxes. I, I'm going to disagree and side with, with Lori's uh, quite obvious uh, observation that they don't do it, <laughs> that they wait to be taxed. Um, but just as Lori said, if all the money had to be moved into the, the evil funding of human and environmental needs, she would agree to it. I would agree to moving all the money out of the military into tax cuts, even tax cuts right. exclusively for oligarchs. I would be I would be for it. Uh, and, and in fact, I've proposed for decades with libertarian friends. Why don't we get together and launch a campaign jointly, hack the money away from the Pentagon, put 50 percent of it into tax cuts and 50 percent of it into human and environmental needs. We can unite around that. Yes. And occasionally I've found people who said, yes, I agree. I'm uh, saying yes. They've, they've almost said, let's do it. Very often I've found libertarians say, absolutely not. I cannot, on principle, support. Mm. Screw them. You Screw know. them. They're wrong. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, libertarians don't agree about anything, I think, except for the NAP. So they, they disagree about all sorts of, of things. So um, that's why I was a little bit disappointed when my hero, David Swanson, you know, made this, this remark that uh, – I think you were basically paraphrasing your critics that um, how can you stand on a stage with people who oppose war because it costs money? You know, so that was, it took me aback because I think you're one of the smartest, one of the most intelligent war critics around. I actually believe on the record that you're one of the few people on the planet who actually deserves a Nobel Peace Prize. So, so, so I had to, you know, I had to engage you on that. And in fact, I wrote an essay, which is probably going to be up tomorrow. And if you want to respond to that, um, where I, I take up the topic again. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, we have to, we have to find our common, 
our, our common ground on these issues. And there's no more important issue than war. So we can disagree about all the details about what's going to happen after we abolish war. But first, we have to abolish war. Certainly. Well, I yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah, look, if we could uh, murder uh, people in Japan and Yemen and Vietnam for zero dollars, I would still oppose it because it's initiating violence against uh, peaceful people. Mr. Swanson, you uh, recently published a book, The Monroe Doctrine at 200, and what to replace it with. What can people learn from reading this book? <laughs> well, I could answer that for several hours, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I guess the short of it is they can learn where what the Monroe Doctrine is, where it came from, who James Monroe was, what context it was created in how it's evolved over the decades and centuries, uh, what evil it's done, what's grown out of it in terms of other doctrines, what a presidential doctrine is, where they come from, what harm they do. Uh, and, you know, of course, the, the Monroe Doctrine has evolved uh, over, the, over the centuries, but uh, it's kept a core uh, principle throughout, uh, and it's a doctrine of imperialism uh, and the imposition of colonial superiority on others. Uh, and it was used, I mean, it was used principally uh, to expand the United States through the middle of North America. Uh, it's thought of principally as related to Latin America because the manifest destiny of conquering parts of North America is considered absolutely unquestionable and almost as if it didn't happen. Uh, but of course, the goal of many of these people was to take over all of Canada, all of Mexico, all of Central America, and maybe parts of South America. And a lot of that has never happened. Um, but it's an ongoing struggle. And there's a, a, a strong and growing movement, uh, including of governments in Latin America, against the Monroe Doctrine uh, and in favor of shutting it down, whether the United States wants to or not. Uh, and that's very interesting. Lori, what can people learn from your book, We Kill Because We Can? Well, it's on its face, a critique of drone warfare, which just developed in this century, um, the use of remote control technology to kill people in lands far away. Um, often these people are not in war zones and they're being assassinated, but it's been rebranded as targeted killing so that supposedly if you assassinate someone with a missile, that's an act of war. You know, where in the past when you assassinated people with a poison or a wire that was uh, supposedly illegal. So it's a critique. It's a close um, examination of this practice, why we're doing it, um, why anyone would think that this is a good idea. And on um, tangentially, it's also a critique of war more generally. So uh, I, I show how uh, the fact that we have resorted to this practice um, shows the deceptive quality of all the rhetoric of our wars um, regarding just war, et cetera, because we basically assume that suspects are guilty until proven innocent, and then they're not provided with the, even the, the capacity to surrender, uh, which is uh, supposedly enshrined in the Geneva Conventions, uh, the, the Declaration of Human Rights. Uh, we violate all of these treaties that we, we give, we, we give, um, um, 
we talk about rhetorically, you know, whenever, whenever people want to criticize Vladimir Putin, he's a war criminal, he violated the, the UN treaty, etc. cetera. Uh, but the thing is that uh, the single case of drone warfare shows us violating all of the principles on which our nation supposedly rests, um, from the presumption of innocence to habeas corpus, uh, it's a war crime. I mean, it's it's a war crime in that you are killing people who are not provided with the opportunity to surrender and you don't warn them before you kill them. So they have no idea that they're, they're about to be killed. So it just basically belies the whole framework, the supposedly um, uh, moral framework under which we, we wage wars from this country. And Mr. Swanson will be speaking at the February 19th Rage Against the War Machine rally in Washington, D.C., set up by the People's Party and the Libertarian Party. As far as any other overlap, Mr. Swanson, uh, what would you think about um, abolishing occupational licensing and decriminalizing economic activity between consenting adults? (laughs) I would think long and hard about it and investigate all the possible things it could mean before devising an answer that probably couldn't fit onto a a soundbite. But uh, I I wouldn't prioritize any of it, whatever the heck it means, uh, over uh, agreeing with Lori that the top priority is to stop increasing the risk of nuclear apocalypse and then move on to other good things we could be doing uh, because this is high on my list. Uh, and uh, whatever I may think of, of other goods and evils, <laughs> you know, this goes first. Okay. So final question, Mr. Swanson, uh, our boss, uh, Scott Horton at the Libertarian Institute had an interesting tweet the other day, right after the balloon got blown up. He said, yay, finally something we can now all believe in again. And it, and it, he is getting at this idea that uh, when people see something that the military does or provoking a war, they say, yeah, that's something I can really get behind. Mr. Swanson, do you have any ideas as to what people can really find meaning with that will sort of replace this war filled hole that uh, the three of us are trying to deprive people of? Oh my God, all the risk and sacrifice and courage and solidarity and teams spirit uh, and fulfilled, meaningful, active life can be found in non-violently resisting war. Uh, there is absolutely no need to be murdering people you've never met on the unexplained, classified, secret motivation of somebody else you've never met uh, in order to have uh, meaning in your life. Uh, there's there's no need to be cheering uh, for some institution uh, far away doing mostly secretive and murderous things uh, in, in order to feel that you're part of something bigger than yourself. Join the anti-war movement. Uh, get out there with us and protest and not just speak on a stage, but surround buildings and shut down business as usual in the heart of the military empire of Washington, D.C. I mean, we, people are putting their bodies on the line in front of trains and trucks, shipping weapons. People, uh, friends of mine in Montenegro right now at 10 degrees below Celsius are trying to prevent NATO military exercises taking over their their mountains. Uh, If you want something to do and you think you, you need to find a military recruiter in order to do it, 
come to me. I'll give you ten choice. I'll give you ten choices. Uh, not not all of them will pay you, unfortunately. I wish they would, but uh, but my God, this you know. William James, 19th century need for a moral equivalent to war. I, I mean, Gandhi slayed that absurdity long ago. Lori, final uh, f final uh, comments on, the, uh, on this issue. Well, I think that our big biggest task is to try to dismantle the scaffold of uh, propaganda and rhetoric used to support war because people <clears throat> believe that they're being good when they support for example, this Ukraine war. They think that this is the good thing to do. So they put the, they put their Ukraine flags in their yards, and they put you know, put their emoji, their emojis, and you know they all they all think that they're doing the right thing because they've been told this by the mainstream media. So what we have to expose are the intrinsic evils of war and point out that all of these people who are supporting the wars have been deceived by the war makers. So um, many of the war makers themselves are self-deceived. So they, they come to believe their own rhetoric after a time because they couldn't actually face up to the horror of what they have done and what they have supported and what they have provoked. So um, I think that has to be one of our, our primary um, goals here is to chip away at this, you know, this entire facade according to which war is a good thing. Everyone goes back to World War II over and over again. Supposedly, you know, war, the outcome of World War II uh, makes everything permissible for the United States. Okay, so, so we can just forget about Vietnam. We can forget about the, the actual results of the 1991 Gulf War, which were ultimately 911 and then the war on terror. So we can forget about all of that because of, of World War II. So what we have to do is get back to, in my view, the concept of war. War itself, is intrinsically evil. It causes nothing but death and destruction. That's all that it does. If you're supporting a war, you are supporting death and destruction. Now, it's been dressed up in fancy moral rhetoric, but that's what you're supporting. Um, so I think we really have to work on that. It's, it's a tough battle because you know the war makers have infiltrated all the mainstream media and are now censoring social media as well. So it's a tough battle. We have to do it locally among our friends and family um, you know, all of us have family members who watch CNN, for example, and, and have been convinced that, oh, we, we have to uh, combat the evil Vladimir Putin, you know, without thinking through the actual consequences of where this can lead. Um, the fact that uh, we have lawmakers who are constantly goading Vladimir Putin to go further and further by telling him things such as, we're going to go for it. We want regime change. You are not going to exist. Once you do that, you undermine, the, you undermine the framework of mutually assured destruction, MAD, according to which uh, we survived the Cold War because everyone knew that if one, one side launched a missile, then the other side would launch a missile and we would all die. Well, if you start telling Vladimir Putin that we're sending the CIA into Russia to assassinate you, then all bets are off because he has nothing to lose. And so if we, put, if we push him in a corner in the way that we pushed Saddam Hussein into a corner in 1991, and then he set his own you know, oil fields on fire. That's an example of how irrational people act or cornered animals. If we do this to Vladimir Putin, we are playing with nuclear fire and we will, we will reap the consequences all over the, all over the planet. They can also, uh, but listeners can check out an excellent book, Leaving World War II Behind, published in 2021 by our guest, David Swanson, a phenomenal book that he spoke about last time he was on the Libertarian Institute. Mr. Swanson, final words, and where can people find you? Uh, 
I agree 100% with what Lori just said. Very well said. Uh, you can find me at davidswanson.org, at worldbeyondwar.org, uh, numerous other uh, organizations and websites. Um, and thanks uh, very much for having us on. Of course. Thank you guys for watching. Thanks to everyone for listening to the Libertarian Institute. And don't tread on anyone podcast. Take care. Thank you. Great to see you, David.